Welcome to Bright Now, a podcast about parenting and educating talented kids, sponsored by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth. I'm your host, Jonathan Plucker, the Julian C. Stanley Endowed Professor of Talent Development at CTY and Johns Hopkins University. One of our most frequently requested topics is about perfectionism. Parents, educators, and counselors want to understand it better, and they are curious about intervention strategies. In today's episode, we explore perfectionism and its many facets. In an earlier episode, we talked with Professor Tony Zamansky about how the social and emotional development of bright students can be complex, and perfectionism is not an exception to that rule. Fortunately, we have a great guest to help us understand it better. Dr. Michelle Muratori is a research psychologist and counselor at the Center for Talented Youth right here at Johns Hopkins, where she also teaches in the Counselor Education Program in the School of Education. Michelle works within the study of exceptional talent, referred to as SET, within CTY. She has published both research and applied pieces on a range of relevant topics, including career and psychosocial development of gifted students and early college entrants. She is also an active scholar on the experiences of counselors. Michelle, welcome to Bright Now. Well, thank you for having me. Let's start with the basics, Michelle. What's a straightforward definition of perfectionism? Oh, my gosh. Straightforward? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I could give you a definition, and it would be it's a combination of excessively high personal standards and overly critical self-evaluation. So it's a multidimensional uh, construct. That's a definition, but hmm. I actually have, you know, personal experience being a perfectionist. So I think it's such a loaded term. And in fact, I have many stories when I reflect back on my own childhood of being perfectionistic. I mean, at a very, very early age, my poor parents <laughs> didn't know what the heck to do with me. But even when I was um, playing outside, my childhood best friend and I would play school while all the other kids were on the street. Um, that see that shows how old I am, right? <laughs> right. We no longer play on the streets, right? But um, we played school and I was so rigid about, I mean, I was serious about this. I even gave my, my student, who was a another kid on the street, homework, you know? <laughs> and he did it, actually. <laughs> but anyway, so I have other stories of I, um, my mom put me in this little modeling class, you know, so that I would develop grace or whatever. And um, I remember at the big show at the end, we had to, you know, walk down the runway. And I walked halfway down, and then I stopped, and I just said, oh, I did it wrong. I did it wrong. So I turned back around and I did the whole thing over again. So I think, you know, for me, um, I I struggled with that more maladaptive type of mm. perfectionism from a very early age. Um, and, and it got to the point where I, you know, I almost felt like a prisoner mm. um, with my own standards, you know. And so right. I know from a very felt experience that um, this this is really not a sustainable way to be, you know. So you talked about uh, maladaptive uh, perfectionism. Uh, so let's jump to that. I mean, are are there different types? Is there adaptive and maladaptive? Can can you help us understand that a little better? Sure. Um, I think you know, just like in the gifted field, the term gifted has been. Um, subjected to debate. 
the same thing with perfectionism. Some would classify it as adaptive perfectionism versus maladaptive. But, you know, others might argue, well, is it really adaptive? Hmm. Is any form of perfectionism really adaptive? But I think if you think of it in terms of positive striving or, you know, striving for excellence, I mean, that's a good thing. But that's also associated with, like, higher self-esteem. So I think that's a different story altogether. And I'm sure that, you know, this topic was in demand because parents are, are concerned more about the maladaptive type, <laughs> that's right? right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great point. We didn't get a lot of emails from parents who were like, oh, I think my kid's a perfectionist. It's awesome. <laughs> that's right. Right. Oh, that's so. funny, yeah. How, how common is perfectionism? Do we have any idea of that? Well, um, I don't know if I've ever seen uh, figures on that. I know. That's interesting. Um, in fact, trying to be a perfectionist, I was trying to look for some <laughs> figures there for you. But, you know, um, what I do know is there's there's some studies that have shown that compared to non-gifted peers, uh, gifted students don't necessarily seem more perfectionistic. However, um, we know that it happens. And, you know, I've worked uh, at CTY for many years now, since 2003. And throughout the years, I frequently talk to parents um, about, you know, their their child's issues with perfectionism. So we know that it happens. And, um, and it's not to say that it doesn't happen with students who are not labeled as gifted. But I think, you know, they present with other types of of issues that might impact the perfectionism. Extreme sensitivity, intensity, um, that vulnerability to criticism, you know. And another thing is in terms of like developing our self-concept, I think for all of us, you know, we get feedback from the world about how we come across and we internalize that into who we are. So you can imagine for gifted students where they are high achievers and they're getting this feedback from the world about their, you know, high abilities and how smart they are, they internalize that into their self-concept. The problem is when, you know, a a person bases their self-worth on just their performance or, or achievement that can become really problematic. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit more? Why, why is that problematic? Well, um, I think for one thing, it also might be related, you know, to that concept of like Carol Dweck's hmm. mindset, mindset and have, developing a fixed mindset. Because if you think that you have like a fixed amount of talent or intelligence or whatever, you're always trying to prove that you have that. And, right. you know, you can't, it doesn't grow. And so... What's what's problematic is it's sort of like a sieve where, you know, a student might achieve something and their satisfaction is so short-lived because now they have to focus on the next one. Right. And I have if, to do it again now, right. That's yeah. right. I've got to do it again. And if they don't measure up to that, then they might be thinking, well, I'm not really that smart, you know? Yeah, that's one thing that we've talked to our children about is that it's not so much 
the high performance that we care about. I mean, that's great whenever it happens. It's more the uh, getting better every time. Right. So it is the growth. It's the improvement that we want to see. And that a key to life is the fact that that never stops. Like you can spend the rest of your life just trying to improve in little ways as you go is a much better way to go through it than I didn't get an A on this mm-hmm. test in third grade. Well, you know what? No one cares what your test was in third grade. That's right. right? But um, doing better the next time and better the next time and learning from your mistakes, that's that's healthy development that's as right. opposed to this wasn't perfect every time. No one's perfect every time. That's so. right. And actually, what you're referring to really is having a process orientation rather than just focusing on the outcome. And, you know, so it's really important that parents reinforce that. One thing that we talked about with uh, Tony Zemanski last season was that, uh, one, the research on a lot of social and emotional aspects of being a bright student is not as deep and rock solid as people often act like it is, right? That's right. So we just. There's so much we don't know, oh, yes. <laughs> but when you're, you know, in waiting to pick up your kids after school or whatever, pa- other parents are talking. People make it sound like they've got it figured out, um, but we there's so much that we don't know. And one one question that I have for you, I'm just curious what you think about this, is I've started to wonder if some of these sort of maladaptive developmental issues, if you will are more kind of a state versus trait, as in if it's a trait, you're a kid who's a perfectionist all the time. I wonder how often that actually really happens, though. You know, is it more, you know, in math, when I'm doing this, a certain type of task, I just cannot let it go. But when I'm writing, I don't have any problem with it, or vice versa, or is it in school versus out of school? I mean, do we, do we, do we, I don't think we have much research on that. Right. And I, I agree. I, I think that more research needs to be done in this area. Um, however, as you were talking about that, what came to mind was that I think when things matter to us more, you know, we tend to be more focused mm. on them. And so I also see that, like with some of the the students that I work with, that they might be really, you know, almost hyper-focused on an area that they're very good at, and it's reinforced externally, and, you know, they get a lot of praise for it, and they also may have a passion for it. Um, But then in other areas that perhaps aren't as strong, they might not be as interested, you know? Right. So I think part of it has to do with how it fits into their self-concept. Is that important to them or not? You know, I'm sure there are things that are more important to you, and with your identity, like for me, being a counselor, that's a really core part of my identity. Um, Maintaining a very clean house is not. (laughs) (laughs) And so I am not a perfectionist at that. Right. Anyway. That's um, interesting. You know, it um, reminds me, your comments remind me, this is an old school example, but uh, Michelangelo, super famous dude. That's right. Very, very famous artist. He was primarily a sculptor. We probably know him a little bit more for his paintings and the popular imagination, but he was a sculptor. He is famous for that. He never finished a sculpture. So he'd get like 90% done. The patron would come in and say, hey, this looks pretty good. And he'd be like, oh, it does. Then I'm done. <laughs> and he would walk away. So if you like go to the backside of even some of his most famous work, there's a detail here or there that he just didn't finish 
because someone said, oh, yeah, that's good enough. But then you look at his painting, especially the uh, uh, Sistine Chapel. Um, you know, I dare you to find something that wasn't finished there, right? So he, even even with this one guy who was notoriously not a perfectionist, when it was something he really, really cared about, to your point, boy, was he a perfectionist and he nailed it. Uh, but and I think a bigger takeaway for parents as we transition to what we can do – what as we transition to what we can recommend for parents and educators is that most people can't look at his work and tell you when he was a perfectionist and when he wasn't. You just see the work. That's an excellent point. You know, one thing I want to add is that um, perfectionists, they some of their behaviors might be pretty overt, like they're they're trying really hard. You know, you see there, you know, it's more of an active behavior. Um, but they also engage in avoidant behaviors Mm. because if nothing is finished, then they never have to um, find out for sure if it's good enough, Mm. you know? And and so some students will underachieve. I think perfectionism and underachievement are related. Um, Well, that's a really good thing for parents and teachers to keep in mind, right? You would think, oh, this particular child, this student is a, a perfectionist. So they're, they're just going to keep working on stuff and working on stuff, but they may just avoid working on something for the exact same reasons, which is not what you would expect. It's not how you would expect this to manifest. That's right. And actually, um, I think that's why, partly why um, perfectionism is regarded a multidimensional construct, you know, because th- 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 there's a lot of complexity to it. Um, you know, another thing I, I would like to add, just to maybe more fully answer a question you already asked, was about the, like the types of perfectionism. Um, one team of researchers um, categorized them in three different ways as self-oriented perfectionists, and that's sort of what we traditionally see as being really having that inner harsh critic and mm. excessive standards. Um, and then they're socially prescribed perfectionists, and these are the perfectionists who are perceiving that the environment, I mean, they're, they're perceiving these unreasonable expectations out there from others, their parents, teachers, who knows, peers, perhaps. Um, and then there are other-oriented perfectionists, and those are the you know, the people who tend to be really hard on other people hmm. and have these really high standards, you know. So, Michelle, what, what are some strategies that parents, uh, teachers, counselors can use when they think some students that they're working with, some children that they're working with, are dealing with perfectionism? Okay. Well, this is really important. I think that, you know, perfectionists need to know that they are valued for who they are, not for just what they're doing. Um, I had a supervisor, and this may sound a little corny, but it it really does fit. Um, He said, we're called human beings, not human doings. Mm. And so um, especially for kids who, I mean, achieve, and I mean, some of them achieve achieve incredible things. Um, But we have to make sure that they know that they're valued for who they are. And sometimes parents might think, well, of course they know that they're valued, but I think it doesn't hurt to be just direct about that and to mm. make sure you communicate that. Um, I also think that 
What I find is helpful is to make sure that you discuss with the student um, what that gifted label means, because I think that students sometimes internalize this idea of being gifted, and you know, if they do anything imperfect, it means that they're not gifted. And we know just from working in in set. You know, most of the students qualify on one of the scores. Usually, it's math,、mm-hmm. and then not both verbal and math. And we know that you know, gifted students have strengths, relative weaker areas, just like everyone. You know,、mm-hmm. so they need to know what you know giftedness means, and what giftedness means, and what it doesn't mean.、Um, there are some strategies, and I think this is probably what parents are kind of looking for. That you could try, but again, I think every person is an individual, so I don't want people to assume like, oh, this will work, you know, for every、sure. student. But I think using some cognitive strategies、uh, might be useful. And honestly, because you know this student population, they have such strong reasoning abilities, I think they'd be receptive to this. And basically, you know what. Cognitive behavioral therapy involves is identifying, you know, our feelings and identifying those automatic thoughts that we have, you know, some of our cognitive distortions, and then trying to replace them with more like healthier thoughts. So our self-talk needs to really change. As human beings, we all can succumb to this. Where, you know, I don't know if you relate to this, but we do this catastrophic thinking, this all-or-nothing thinking.、Right. You know, if I'm not number one. Well, I'm, you know, forget it. I'll just quit, and you know, whatever.、Um, there's all kinds of things. These kind of mental gymnastics we play, right, to cope in life. But challenging these cognitive distortions is is really important. And so, for example, what a, a you know a parent might ask, well, you know, what's the evidence for that? You know, that you're just awful or that you're you're not smart.、Mm. You know, and and just pursuing it. Another thing that sometimes helps is to consider, like worst case scenario. Well, you know, what if you don't get an A, or what if you don't get the top score? What will happen? And then hear them out, and don't try to interrupt and like try to talk them out of it. I don't think that helps. But a- after you listen, you might say, "All right, and then what?" Right. Let them talk, and then what? You know, and. Hear them out, and I think by really going to like, what's the worst that could happen? I think they need to come to the place where they realize it's it's not going to be the end of the world, that they'll have coping skills. You know, it's really important for these kids to learn how to deal with setbacks, and you know, using Carol Dweck's terms, to have a growth mindset. We're going to have to stop right there,、uh, Michelle. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today.、Uh, we're definitely going to have you back on again soon. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Bright Now. Tell us what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes by emailing your suggestions to brightnowpodcast@gmail.com. If you enjoy Bright Now, support us by sharing the podcast with friends on social media. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.
Bright Now is produced by Jonathan Pucker, Tracy Guerin, and Trisha Schellenbach. Audio production by Iris Starkangelo and the team at Clean Cuts, a Three C's company. Our score was written by Austin Coughlin from Noise Distillery. Special thanks to CTY's Interim Executive Director, Amy Shelton. Bright Now is underwritten by the Johns Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, a nonprofit dedicated to identifying and developing the talents of academically advanced students worldwide. Find us on the web at cty.jhu.edu and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.